Happy Halloween, you mac and cheese monsters. Today we have a trick-or-treat special for you. We're going to watch a movie I've never seen. My friend Joel suggested Mandy, the Nick Cage film, for something scary for Halloween. He told me not to read up on it, not to do research, so go in cold. So I saw the trailer and I was like, I'm in. So here we go with the first mac and cheese movie site, movie site unseed, Mandy. When your weekend's all spin up and Monday's coming down the pike, sometimes all you need is a little comfort to get you through to Monday. Mac and Cheese Movies, where we believe in comfort food and comfort movies. Hello, and welcome to Mac and Cheese Movies. I'm Scotty Coppage, and we got Joel Abeda today. Hello. So today we're talking about Mandy. You said that we'd have mac and cheese for <laughs> the food, and for the first hour and a half I was like, I don't think there's going to be any food in this movie, and then there's like a commercial for mac and cheese, like some goblin cheddar. Uh, that's ridiculous. This is goblin vomiting mac and cheese all over kids, and yeah, just kind of those typical '80s, '90s commercials that are just so off the wall. Um, so I made mac and cheese this morning. I've never made mac and cheese. I don't really love mac and cheese. Like Shannon loves mac and cheese, and Liz always looking for recipes and stuff. So I wasn't fixing it as a kid. So like I really had no idea. So. Shannon gave me the Pond Creek mac and cheese recipe, like her mom's recipe. But it wasn't like super specific because, you know, this is someone who's been making it like a long time. So everything's like second, second hand, second nature to them. So I was making it and like, I just started like kind of throwing in stuff from like other videos or other recipes, like some flour or whatever. And like something that could like really could have botched it. Cause like in the middle of that, I put like three cups of milk. In it, and like I was in a pot, and I was like, "This just looks like milk in here." So I just like doubled up the Velveeta, um, like all the stuff. Just to, and, and once it started looking more like it could pass as cheese, I was like, "Okay, well here we go, here we go." That's, that's sometimes how those things go. You just gotta you gotta taste it and season it, and, and then you end up with just an enormous amount. Yeah, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this Dutch oven full of cheese right now because I like didn't know how much I really need, should be making. So Shannon will have to knock that out. Um, and then, and then you brought over some stuff and made a mac and cheese. Well, tell yeah. us, tell us about your recipe. So this is kind of based off the uh, binging with Babish on YouTube. Is this where he goes over uh, a series of videos where he goes over the basics of of some cooking stuff. And so he's his whole thing about mac and cheese was. Don't bother with the milk or the bechamel that waters down the cheese flavor. So his, his old, just you cook the noodles and you throw in a slice of American cheese. And you mix that with a little bit of the noodle water and that makes kind of your starter bechamel sauce. But it's already cheesy. And you just grate in a bunch of uh, cheddar cheese or whatever. He's extra sharp cheddar. Just cheap stuff. It's fine. Just enough to give it some flavor. And uh, I threw a little, some little chili peppers in there. So I like a little, little zing. It was really good. They were really good. Thank you. Easy recipe. This was way easier than what I did. <laughs> this is this is what this is the Pond Creek mac and cheese recipe. One bag of macaroni, seven ounces of gouda, which I had like some sliced gouda that I got from the store, so it wasn't seven ounces at all. Um, one pound to one pound and a fourth of white Velveeta. I used like a whole thing. Um, a little cheddar, a stick of butter. Whipping cream, I did three cups of milk, some garlic. I put some truffle oil at the end and then like put all this on the on the macaroni. Um, so yeah. Did you, 
bake it in the oven? Was that kind of thing? Stove. Okay. Stove. Um, so taste test, totally edible, not terrible. It's all right. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this may have been the first. This may have been the first mac and cheese episode that we've had mac and cheese on. I think. Unless maybe we had mac and cheese on one of the first episodes. We haven't had macaroni and cheese like on any of these podcasts we've done. Cool. So this is it. We did it. And what a what a movie to do it with. Um, So let's talk about our movie, Mandy. First taste. What's let's what's the story about before we get into like? Uh, Basically, it it kind of introduces a husband and wife living kind of out in the woods. And um, are we doing spoilers? Is this? Yeah, we'll just, let's just do everything. Okay, so, and she gets, uh, or ca- she catches the eye of a cult leader named Jeremiah Sand, and he uh, obsesses about her, and then goes and gets her, and tries to brainwash her with drugs and stuff into his cult, and she laughs in his face, and so they kill her, and... What the, the mistake they make is that they don't kill Red, Nicolas Cage's character. And so he comes after him. Turns out he's like a some sort of a mercenary or bounty hunter who's like retired. And uh, and he, he does exactly that. He goes and kills every single one of them. So it's, it's, a, little, it's a little Mad Max with like some fantasy tropes in it, but a lot of metal. And, and, and like the synopsis doesn't do justice to like what the film is because the yeah, film I is like you could read the synopsis. it says when a nightmarish cult attack Red and Mandy the shocking assault leads to a spiraling surreal bloody rampage of all out mind altering vengeance it it's l- not quite what it is I mean it is that but it's so much more it's so it looks like very like David Lynch to me mm-hmm. um, like yeah. just kind of like everything's kind of like this dream state kind of thing um, and like all the colors yeah. and everything. Um, what else do I have here? Like, uh, like at the very first, there's like that Reagan voiceover about America. Yeah. Like when he's in the car. Yeah. And, and he, he just turns it off. And I, I don't, I don't know what Reagan was saying at the first. We was talking about like American values. I think he was talking like about Christianity it, and like. Everyone's going back yeah. to the values that made our country great or something, and it just turns it off right there. Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't know if this was, if that was like in the 80s or like, I, you have no idea when this movie is kind of set well, or even if it's on Earth. They do, yeah. We're not sure if it's on Earth, but they do say at the beginning that it's in 1983. It was, you might have missed it. There was a big title. Okay. And it says, it's the setting, the Shadow Mountains established, or 1983 or so. It looks kind of mm-hmm. like a logo for a brand or something, but this, this director has a, sort of an affinity for 1983. His first movie, Under the Black Rainbow, was... Also takes place in 1983. It's also equally weird and colorful and uh, much looser on narrative than this one. But did you? Um, they said Crystal Lake. Yeah. In is that that's a reference to Friday Thirteenth, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Strictly, I think. Yeah. Um. And there's a lot of that in here. There's of uh, references to other movies or. Uh, a lot of the quotes they say are from, uh, like, Joseph Campbell's. What The very last quote of the movie is kind of a derivative of something Joseph Campbell said. The quote at the beginning, talking about when I die, put speakers at my feet, and wrap headphones and 
rock and roll me while I'm dead or something. That's they. It's not attributed, but they think it's it's probably uh, there was an inmate that was put on death row in Texas several years ago, and that's something like what he said right before they flipped the switch. That's good. Last words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, lots of lots of references to other pop culture and, and like the Goblin commercial with the macaroni and cheese, like those '90s, '80s commercials. And how terrifying! How, ter- how terrifying was it? Like the first probably hour of this, while you're going through this, while the mm-hmm. while Mandy is alive and everything, it's like you think about a home invasion. You think about and like how he's like sen- sending the people out to go get her. But then also they've got like this like green rock and they bring these yeah these dudes in that like are like monsters like Hellraiser like, looking or, yeah and like I didn't know if they were like are they aliens or like what's going on here um, yeah because I thought that Nick Cage went I thought he was gonna when they took him I thought he was gonna be become like like that so he'd be all like kind of a mecked up mm-hmm. like that to go kill everybody but yeah so yeah that was that's really good. Then, like, they get her, and, like, just kind of, like, Jeremiah's, like, all of that David Koresh, Charles Manson, like, seductive propaganda stuff, it's just, like, you see how, like, how are people taken by this? But then you can also see, like, you can totally see how people will, like, buy into this if you're in, like, the wrong state. And what's funny about it is he treats them all so badly, except for his, like, main dude uh, that he gives the, the little green rock to, or he has a little green rock, and the rock with the green flashing light, I guess. But everyone else, he's pretty terrible too. <laughs> he smacks that yeah. lady. Mm-hmm. Right? Does he smack her? He, he definitely yells at her when she's just not doing anything. And then bring the sister Lucy in. Yeah. Um, they just, for, the camera just fades out. Like She closes the door you know. and you, you know, yeah. And I love that Mandy started laughing at him. Like all yeah. the stuff that he's saying and all of this like big God stuff. On somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like then his voice, like I noticed like in the scene, he like looks like all powerful yeah. and everything. And then like later, like even like during her murder, he looks different. I didn't even know if that was like the same character. Cause it like looks so different to me. He, yeah. he didn't, he like had more wrinkles. He had like more like everything in his voice, like is in his like, um, commanding yeah. and everything. And I think they shot it a little differently too. And all the scenes with Mandy, when they're trying to brainwash her, he's kind of shot on an upward angle and they have like the beams in the house, in the ceiling, are, like kind of radiating out from behind his head and like the sort of halo looking thing. And then when they're outside, the camera's more of a little downward angle on him. And, uh, I guess because Nick Cage is kind of strung up, so we're seeing it from his his point of view. But yeah, like they definitely treated him a lot differently after after that. What else do I have here? Um, she said, "Do you like the Carpenters? They're <laughs> sensational." And I was thinking about like an anger management with Adam Sandler and yeah. Jack Nicholson. He's like, "Yeah, you got to get rid of this." Like the you, you can't have the carpenters. Like the carpenters are angry. Like that's what I was thinking of when this line was being said. Um, but then the song that he played was Jeremiah Sand. Is that a carpenter song? No, it's. I don't know if it was written for the movie or if it's like just an old song mm-hmm. called Jeremiah Sand. But that's the character's name is Jeremiah Sand. 
He's like, this is sensational. It's about himself. Uh, so it's like this total ego stroking mm-hmm. narcissism going on. Did you notice like towards the end, like the cross and it looks kind of like Excalibur? Yeah. I thought that looked... All the imagery in this was, movie is like cool like that. There's definitely... It dips deep into fantasy tropes like the, the stone was called like the horn of Abraxas and he had that knife. He said, this is the blade of the pale knight from the something abyssal lair. <laughs> like everything was this kind of like we're not on earth a little bit. And then at the end they show like two moons and the jagged mountains and yeah. Was this original source material or was this from a book or something? This is Panos Cosmatos, the director. He wrote it with one other person. I don't really know much about the the genesis of it, but um, the guy loves metal. That <laughs> much I can tell. And uh, Johan Johansson. This was actually the last film that he scored before he passed away. So there was a there's a bit of a was an interview you can watch with the director and how, and you can tell that that really affected him, you know, in his, his post-production and everything. So it's, it's a little sadness in there. Yeah. Um, is that who it said in memory to you at the end? I think so. Yeah? Yeah. There's a chainsaw battle in this movie. <laughs> with a giant chainsaw. <laughs> and they fight them like swords. It's, I love that. I love it. With sparks flying and everything. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't even like use that. I thought... At the end? Yeah, he used the chain and then he used this other stuff. Yeah, I was... And he pulls the guy down and he lands on his own chainsaw and it's just blood spraying everywhere. So good. He And Red lets Sister Lucy go. Yeah. Because she seemed kind of like a little, little bit of a prisoner. She, she seemed to yeah. regret stuff along the way. The older woman does not no. get let go. Not at all. And she tries to... Does she try to seduce him at the end? There? I think she, she like, was like saying like, I... She can like predict her lover's desires. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It obviously didn't work. He cuts her head off. Yeah, throws, throws it at the dude. <laughs> who's like flipping out at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes through all the... He's, he's like defiant and then pleading and then defying again and Nicholas Cage just at the end he says I am your god now as he's like crushing his skull they were talking about how these dudes his cult like had this like weird LSD drug mm-hmm. and we see like Nicholas Cage see it and like kind of put his like a dip tastes it, like a tiny little bit of it tastes like a, I, I was hoping all of this wasn't like just some trip at the end, him killing right. all of them. I was like, where he yeah. just wakes up and he's like Brazil all chained up into like the stuff and like it's over. I was like, I want this to be real. I want yeah. this to be, I want him to get his justice. And like, I also didn't know if, if, if Mandy, is she still, was she still alive? Was she, is she in that like cartoon world? Like what was, yeah. what she was pulling out the green stone. So she was reading that book at the beginning. And so all the dream sequences or the animated sequence, they, they kind of seem like dream sequences because he always seems to wake up or come back to reality. Those were scenes out of the book she was reading. But then one of the main things she reads out of the book is describing what we see at the end of the movie, the three moons and the 
the razor sharp mountains and and all and it shows like these jagged otherworldly peaks as Red's driving away through it. So I don't know if there's some like because one of the the black skulls, the evil Hellraiser motorcycle dude said she's still burning, and then at the end Jeremiah Sand says that he can bring her back to life. So I don't know if there's this sort of like purgatory thing that she's stuck in, or or, there or just or just like way. a devil's promise, which is like could, not yeah, fulfilled. Like yeah, just something to try to trick the main character. But he's so focused in his goal, it doesn't work. I love I love Nicolas Cage, and he said. You ruined my favorite shirt, or like <laughs> yeah. in, in this movie. I feel like that's something I would say in that, in that situation. Um, Nicholas Cage has had the career, and like I'm glad that he's doing weird stuff like this. Yeah. And like you know, he owns like an island. No, I don't know how he has enough money to own that. I mean, he did, like even if he made a lot of money with like National Treasure or whatever, I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, he was doing the Bruckheimer films. You know, in the late '90s and stuff, but it was like, I mean, he's had like a long career, but like he's kind of really he's does kind of weird stuff now. Good with his finances, he's only just saved up and bottom an island. Good, good for him. <laughs> good for him. Is there anybody you could see in this movie besides Nicolas Cage in this role? Uh, really, yeah. I mean, I think he's perfect for it, but you know. Some of the more kind of quirky actors, like Benicio del Toro, I think mm. could have done an okay job. Maybe, uh, oh, what's what's that guy that was the Joker in that terrible? Jared Leto. Jared Leto, I think could have done okay because he he can be weird, and I like I like him in some weird stuff. So Nicolas Cage was actually going to be the bad guy in this movie in, in the original when they're casting it, but he he said that he would rather play Red because his father had died earlier that year, so he was really dealing with some loss. And he felt like that could make that character stronger. Oh. And it does. Well, yeah. There's scenes where he's crying, and and the tears are real. It's, it's, flipping, it's flipping out, and he's yeah. sitting on a toilet, and the <laughs> yeah. bathroom, the wallpaper, like... bottle of vodka. <laughs> and then, like, pouring it on his wounds, yeah. and, like... And, yeah, he just goes through... It's... It's insane. Yeah. His performance is insane in this movie. And the camera's just, it's mostly static. And it's just, and the camera doesn't have to do anything. Because mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage just commands the screen. He's screaming. He's crying. And then he gets mad. He's crying again. All the while taking these violent chugs out of a liquor bottle. And after he's chugged, it seems like it hurts. He's like holding his throat. And. I really liked. I'm I'm just bouncing up up and down here. I liked the first of it when like she like owns like a little store yeah or whatever and it's kind of like in the middle of nowhere. It reminds me of like some place in the Ozarks that we've gone to where it's like kind of like small towns and then there's like kind of nothing and the kind of like to get to your cabin it's yeah. like maybe there's a gas station and like but that's it for miles. That's it for miles and it's like they had like a red box but it was it was like wasn't a red box it was like had DVDs in it mm-hmm. and it had. It was painted red, and it said red, and that's how you, you could get the DVD. You could just rent the DVDs. But and they had like baseball cards. You put a quarter in, it, but this baseball cards like ninety three. It was like so kind of weird. The whole situation in that town, yeah. and like in this in these little stores, that it kind of reminded me of this, where it's just kind of like it's kind of timeless, and it's kind of like it's not like oh yeah, well this is after the apocalypse or whatever. It's just like right. everything like is just ideally, yeah, which is another kind of like David Lynch. He's his. Like, especially the intro to, like, uh, 
blue velvet. It's this idyllic American suburbia, you know, with white picket fences and these little hints of weirdness here and there. Yeah. What do you uh, think this director is going to do now? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I did watch a little bit of an interview with him, and it, they, they, asked, they kind of alluded to that, and he just said, I'm just sitting around watching TV. Like, he was just taking it easy. So. Is this like a young guy? Uh, I'm really not sure how old he is. I, I think he's from South America. I could be wrong on that. I have to look it up. Um, but he's in one other movie. Uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, um, which is, is, I think everyone should see it. Mm-hmm. I don't think everyone will like it. <laughs> I, it is good. I think I think that's probably a given. Did you, a, did you watch it? No, but like just from this movie, yeah. like I, I can't imagine how many people, if I like recommended this to, you, right, would not be into this movie, like my mother in law or something, right. you know, like. Yeah, most people are not Panos Cosmatos fans. <laughs> just out of the gate. Pepano's heads. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd love to see him do really anything. As long as he keeps his weird, the color grading and the, just the strangeness, you know, like the whole movie's pretty much normal up until a point when all of a sudden they have the horn of Abraxas and they're summoning demon bike riders and. The doggy bag. What's your takeaway from the film? What do you think is the legacy? The legacy of the film? Yeah. I think it's like just everybody that grew up in the 80s or 90s and, and loved metal, I think will love this film. It is defi- it's like metal lyrics and album art and all that just on film. It's a metal film. The execution for that is incredible on this. I wonder how much this movie cost. Yeah, that's a good question. There had to have been some kind of budget. Because there's some big sets and crazy costumes. and I mean, he has a giant silver axe. The axe is amazing. Yeah. And it's it's all shiny. And I mean, it looked like it was... I mean, they had to make that. I don't think you can just go to the store and buy those. So there's there's definitely some money behind it. I'm sure it's not like some big Hollywood stuff, which is probably good because I think Hollywood would have taken this movie and it would have been so cheesy. It's so watered down, yeah. so like let's appeal to the four quadrants and yeah. let's set this up for a bunch of sequels yeah. and everything. Like, yeah. I like that they didn't explain stuff. I love that. I love that. Know. Yeah, we don't know really anything. Yeah. Just that there's this dude... We know a little bit about the Black Skulls. Uh, we know a little bit about Red. So I kind of wondered if there were some other scenes or parts of the script that got cut out because it seems like the Black Skulls kind of come out of nowhere and they didn't necessarily need them to go get Mandy. But I, I, if they had a scene where they were talking about, oh, this is Red, kind of like John Wick or something. Now we need to go call the Black Skulls. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Overkill to just go in and like kidnap her so he can try to seduce her in front of his friends. (laughs) 
Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. There were so many times when we were watching this movie that I was like, I was like, I want to be the annoying person, being like, "What's going on right here?" <laughs> I wanted to be like that. I was like, I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be cool and ask later if I want to ask. Um, maybe a little I probably wouldn't know the answer. You just take it in, and that's that's. I think that's the legacy of the movie. It's just, it is what it is. It's a love letter to metal and fantasy and sci-fi, and it's skillfully put together, written, and. I love it. It's like probably my top five all time. All time favorite movies, yeah. All right, I I I really like this movie too, and I'll try to get Shannon to watch it. I don't know if she'll watch it, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, so I, a love story. I I was ri- I was riveted by this movie. I was just like, what's happening? And there's you know, you're right. The it's not, you know, dumbing it down for you and like explaining everything and yeah. holding your hand. You're just kind of like. I have to like pay attention because I have to understand what's happening here. Yeah, and the dialogue's important. That where they there's a whole conversation with the chemist. With Nicholas Cage says nothing the whole time. So you just this dude. Oh yeah. He gives away uh-huh. some, some like he tells him where to go to find the cult, and he was he telekinetic? Is that what what's happening well, here? He was living under this big antenna, so I wonder if there's some connection between. There's a, there's a scene where he's like, oh, the children, because the, the cult is like the children of dawn or mm-hmm. something. And so then he like, his eyes roll back in his head, his head flops back and this weird sound plays. So it seems like maybe he his like, because he's the guy that made the, the LSD and he just has like fingers in it. And when Nicolas Cage first shows up, he has his hands up and he reaches over and licks the finger off. So it's like he's connected to some like, something with that antenna. And that antenna appears in his vision when he tastes the acid. So, yeah, something, but yeah, you got to pay attention. Yeah. You gotta, there's little clues here and there. You can follow us on Twitter at Mac and Cheese Movie. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Happy Halloween. Good night.